0: When I was a boy growing up in in Dixon, Tennessee, uh, the the county seat of Dixon is Charlotte, Charlotte, Tennessee. Uh, James Robertson, who was very instrumental in coming into Tennessee and helping found the state and the city of Nashville, his wife was named Charlotte uh, Robertson. Uh, the the. Charlotte Street in Nashville is named after her, but so is Charlotte, the, the county seat of Dixon. It's named after Charlotte Robinson as well. And at one time, the city of Charlotte was was very large in the 1830s and the 1840s. It was a very large city, so, so large in fact that the, uh, some of the uh, people in that area got enough votes, they thought, to make uh, Charlotte the capital of the state of Tennessee. That's how important the city was. Uh, But, as things will, the the railroad went to Dixon uh, and uh, uh, Charlotte changed. Now, Charlotte still is the capital. Uh, It only has 1,100 people living in Charlotte, though. But even if you 've got to go to court you 've got to go to Charlotte. you 've got to travel the fifteen miles from Dixon, where everybody else lives okay and go to court in in Charlotte, or if you have to pay your tags or you have to go through emissions, or if you have to you have to visit somebody in the jail everything 's centered in in Charlotte for those kinds of things, even though Dixon is much bigger uh, it 's not the county seat okay it 's not the county seat Corinth, Corinth, the city of Corinth, at one time was not the was not the capital of the region of Achaia, all right? Athens was. And we can imagine that. We can understand that. Athens was a great city, a great city of knowledge. But as things do, things change. The Greeks weren't in charge anymore. And the Romans were in charge. And so they made the Roman city of Corinth the capital of that state, of, of, that, of that region. Corinth was the capital, and that's what we're studying. Get your Bibles out. You're going to need your Bibles again this morning. It was the it was the most important city in the area. It, it was a crossroads city; a lot of trade happened through the city of Corinth. By the second century A.D., there would be three hundred thousand freemen and four hundred and sixty thousand slaves living in the city of Corinth. Seven hundred and sixty thousand people, uh, if you can imagine that. Uh, during that, uh, during the time that Paul writes our letter here in Corinthians, there's really only about half that. But still, for the time, even our day, that's a that's a even for our century, that's a that's a large, huge city in any century standards. By comparison, Sumner County has 165,000 residents, just the county itself. Okay, so we're talking about a city. That's twice the size of our county as far as population goes. So you can imagine this huge city, big place, big church, more than likely. They had big problems. And that's what Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a lot about, about their problems. They didn't all meet in one building in Corinth. There were different congregations that were scattered through throughout the city. Meeting in houses, meeting where they could. But they had developed... Into rivals with each other, they were competing with each other rather than standing uh, together in the cause of Christ. When we think of the church in our area, in the Portland area, much smaller area than Corinth, I'm sure, and not, not even a, not even a tenth of the Corinth size. But what, what do we what do we think of when we think of the church in our area? Are we divided? Uh, is everyone trying to make their, their own mark on the area? Or are we standing firm, standing together in the cause of Christ? Now what Paul does here in, in, in the book of Corinthians, in the letter to the Corinthians, is focus. And by his focus, by his focus in Corinth, in the church, he, he focuses on their, on their church, he focuses on their congregation, he focuses on the individual Christians themselves and tries to corral them back into the fold, into the one church which they seem to be dividing themselves from. Chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 3 are full of contrasts, full of of paradoxes, the, the wise and the foolish. That's a great contrast, the mighty and the weak. Last week... In in these chapters, chapters 1 through 3, we saw Paul's concern for the church. Paul's concern for the church as a whole at Corinth. Each little faction was trying to uh, put their own mark on the society of of Christians at Corinth. And people are still trying to do so today in the church of our Lord. But Paul marks division as as foolish. Worldly wisdom, he marks that as, as foolishness. And yet those who are being saved are being saved by the foolish message that's being preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, what we talked about last week. This this to, to those who are dying is foolishness. There were in Corinth the spiritually living and the spiritually dying. Same as Portland. Same as Charlotte, Tennessee. There's the spiritually living and there's there's the spiritually dying. And the cross of Christ to the spiritually dying is foolish. They can't get it. But here's the awesome paradox. The foolishness of God is wiser than man. The weakness of God is stronger than man. God chose the foolish, the cross, the human messenger, <laughs> somebody like me, somebody like you, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The weak message itself to put to shame. He chose this. He chose us. He chose the message itself to put to shame the wise of the world, to confound the mighty, to overpower the mighty with the weak and foolish message, the weak and foolish people, or so the world thinks. Look at Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, those of us in Christ, believe it or not, we are wisdom from God. God. Those of us in Christ are wisdom from God. We are right with God. We're set apart by God and we're saved by God. Only God and His wisdom and mighty power could do this. Now skip to chapter 2 verse 1. And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or, or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God? For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And if you look back at Paul's life, which we're going to do tonight when we look at Galatians, we're going to look at his life before he was a Christian and then after he was a Christian. But if you look back at Paul's life in Acts chapter 18, where Paul was in Corinth, you see uh, that he would have been afraid. He would have been afraid because Acts chapter 18 verse 9 says, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, God's not going to tell him not to be afraid unless he was afraid. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Uh, You know, Paul talked a lot about wisdom. And from chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 3, he writes with, with focus. He dials it down. He dials this wisdom down, the wisdom that the church needs The wisdom that the church needs and what is godly wisdom. He dials it down for us and for the Corinthian church then. Paul wanted to know from the Corinthians and I'm asking you the question today what kind of person are you? Are you a natural person? Are you a carnal person? Or are you a spiritual person? Skip down to chapter 2 verse 14. A natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man cares only for the natural, the physical world that he sees around him. They are governed only by their appetites. They're governed only by their passions. Things that we have in common with the animals. That's what the word natural means. Those things that we have in common with the animals, that's all they care about. We know folks like that who are natural. And that's all they care about is getting by one more day. They can't know the spiritual things of God because the natural person is spiritually discerned, spiritually sifted, spiritually judged. The natural person does not want to know the wisdom of God. And that's the reason they can't know the wisdom of God, because they don't want to. They're not concerned about those kinds of things. Are you a natural person? And I, brethren, could not speak to you as of chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Here's another class of people. The carnal Christian. The carnal Christian. There's a new study. This came out last month, the beginning of last month, uh, by the Barna Group. David Kinnaman uh, wrote a book called You Lost Me, and he's a researcher for the Barna Group he talks about the spiritually homeless youth. There's there's a group he calls the millennials. It's the 18 to 29-year-olds. Okay, 18 to 29-year-olds. Think about somebody in that age range, 18 to 29-year-old. There are today, there's a 43% drop-off in church engagement between teen and early adult years. This represents 8 million 20-somethings who were once active churchgoers who no longer who will no longer be particularly engaged in a church by their 30th birthday. Eight million young people that way. He breaks them, he breaks them down into different categories. He says of, these, of this millennial group, this 18 to 29-year-old group uh, of, of, of Americans with a Christian background, 59% dropped out of attending church after going regularly. 59% of them have dropped out. have been significantly frustrated by faith. 57% are less active in church today compared to when they were 15. 38% went through a period when they significantly doubted their faith. Again, he breaks these down in even further categories. He He calls one group, he calls the nomads the nomads. Nomads are 18 to 29 year olds with a Christian background who have walked away from the church yet can still consider themselves to be Christians. 43% of these think going to church or being a Christian, being with Christian friends is optional. It's an option. He breaks it down again. The prodigals, he calls. The prodigals, these are those who have a Christian background but have lost their faith 21% say Christian beliefs just don't make sense to them they say their spiritual needs can't be met by Christianity here's another group he calls the exiles the exiles these are 18 to 29 year olds who have a Christian background and are still invested in their Christian faith but feel stuck or lost between culture and the church look at this 33% say that God is more at work outside the church than inside. They say they want to find, and 38% say they want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the world they live in. And here's the kicker 32% say they want to be a Christian without separating themselves from the world around them. How's that gonna work out for them, do you think? Are you a carnal person? This is how this is how Paul breaks it down here in 1 Corinthians. Are you a carnal person? Are you a carnal Christian? The carnal Christian is not able to grow. They're not able to eat solid food. Why? You look look here because of envy, envy because they resisted the supposed advantage another enjoyed. They, they resented that and when they saw one congregation one congregation, or one Christian that, that seemed like they had something more than they had, they wanted it, they, they envied. The carnal are controlled by the world instead of the spirit. And see, that's what a lot of the people in this survey, that they wanted to be a part of the world and not lose their Christianity. But we see here that we can't live like that. We can't be a part of the world. We've got to be in the world, but not of the world, as we say. The carnal are controlled by the world instead of the spirit. The synonym human weakness makes sense to me. That's what a carnal person is. They're humanly weak, and their human weakness is stronger than their spirituality, than their spiritual selves. Are you carnal? So many say they're Christians. But they're controlled by the world and they will never grow up unless they become spiritual. The carnal Christian is envious. Chapter 3, verse 3. They're full of strife, full of contention, full of disharmony, full of discord, full of infighting, full of division. That's what a carnal Christian is. The carnal, the New King James Version, behave like... Mere men. Are you carnal? Are you carnal? Why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say they behave like mere men? Are we more than mere men? If we're a Christian, are we more than a mere man? Because those in Christ, look at chapter 3 verse 9, those in Christ are God's field, God's building. We've got to be better than the natural people. We've got to be better than the carnal thinking. We've got to be better. We must be spiritual. The word spiritual, the word spiritual is an after Pentecost word. It's not used in the Gospels. Spiritual does not appear in the Gospels. Spiritually could be defined uh, as as I've looked and, and studied as mature wisdom. Mature wisdom, spiritual. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of, for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him but god has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of god for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god now we received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we might know the things that we have been freely given that have been freely given to us by god these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. There are many man-made, man-made definitions of the word spiritual. Spiritual to some means prophetic dreams. To some out there in the world it means deja vu. you ever experienced deja vu? Well, a lot say that you're experiencing something Spiritual. Out-of-body experiences. Remembering a past life. I saw somebody like doing that on TV the other day. Flying in a dream. Knowing the truth instantly. A lot of people say this is spiritual. This is spirituality. Wikipedia defines spirituality It's the, here it is, listen, you'll have to listen hard to get it. Spirituality is the concept of an ultimate or alleged immaterial reality, an involution enabling a person to discover the essence of his or her being or the the decent values. Now, I don't know what that means. I couldn't tell you what that means. Uh, that's just worldly wisdom as far as I'm concerned. That makes no sense. It's like they just put words together and started spitting them out. One of Oprah's, the, the queen of the new age, one of Oprah's favorite teachers, he's an Episcopalian reverend, and he, Reverend Ed Bacon is his name. He defines spirituality as this. It makes as much sense as the Wikipedia though, okay? It makes as much sense as this. He defines spirituality as a meaningful connection. It's about being connected with one another and the cosmos. Okay? And that unconditional love is the essence of spirituality. Huh? What's that mean? It doesn't mean anything. But there's a lot of people that go, ooh, ah, when they hear it. This is the wisdom of the world, which we have already defined. So many want to divorce spirituality from religion. They want to divorce spirituality from God. But you can't do that. You can't divorce spirituality from God. It's not separated apart from God. It's God-given. Alcoholics Anonymous from their big book stresses that when working with someone who's an alcoholic and you're trying to get off alcoholism if the man be agnostic or atheist make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your concept concept of god he can choose any concept he likes provided it makes sense to him the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles but notice verse 10. God has revealed His wisdom and mysteries through the Holy Spirit. That's how we find out God's wisdom. That's how we find out God's mysteries. That's how we find true spirituality. It can't be without God. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God. Spirituality. Spirituality. Spiritual things. They have their origin in God and and are in harmony with His character and with His Word. Verse 13, the Holy Spirit teaches the wisdom of God and that expressed revelation is spiritual. Not in the words of man's wisdom, but comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. with Spiritual words with spiritual words. The Corinthians were, were babes in Christ. Their immature acts and inexperience and division and they were, they were keeping them from spiritual growth. And we must understand that just like a person must mature from the cradle to the grave, we can't remain a baby forever. Spirituality is not a, a fixed point. The spiritual recognize that they have to grow. And that's where I'm asking you to put yourself on, on this short scale. Are you natural? Are you carnal? Or are you spiritual? Where are you? We can always grow. We can always be better in the ways of God, in the ways that He's originated but these things have to be in line with god 's character. they have to be in line with god 's word we can 't just come up with something on our own and say well that 's spirituality. Ah, oh, it sounds good that 's man 's wisdom. Remember, the natural person cares only for what they can get out of this life. Is that you? The carnal is controlled by the world by human weakness. Is that you? But the spiritual person Is concerned about the things and the thoughts of God. Is that you? Which one are you? Natural, carnal, or spiritual? Well, which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? People usually do what they want to do. If you want to be spiritual, you can be spiritual. We learned last week that we have the liberty to choose for ourselves how we want to act, how we want to be, what we want to think, what we want to read, who we want to follow. We have that liberty. The good news from Barna is this. Look at this. The good news from Barna, 42% of, of these Children 18 to 29 years old, 42% are very concerned about their generation leaving the church. That's great, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? 42% are worried. What if that 42% mobilized? 41% have a desire for a more traditional faith rather than a hip version of Christianity that's being driven down their throat in today's society. This hip Christian 30% say they are more excited about church than any time of their life. That's promising. We're not alone. We're not alone. How can you be more spiritual? That's what you need to be. You need to be more spiritual in your life. How can you be more spiritual? Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Be mature. Be mature. Seek after the wisdom of God. You, you can start being more spiritual by doing that. Not the, the Oprah's and company who are, are coming to nothing. Not, not, the, not the, the, the new age thinking. That's not what you, you, you ground yourself in. You, you don't go buy all the magazines off the rack at the, at the food line and try to find the wisdom there. You don't go to Barnes and Noble or your Amazon app and you find wisdom and spirituality. You can't find it there. You can only find it if it coincides with what God wants you to have. Verse 2, determine not to know anything but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What more do you need to know? What more do I need to know? What more do I really need to be preaching than Jesus Christ and Him crucified? I mean, that's the essence of it all, isn't it? If we'll obey the gospel, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we'll be saved. Don't you want to go to heaven? What about your family? What about your friends? Don't you want them to go to heaven? Then determine to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And tell them about it. Tell them about it. Eat solid food found in the Bible. Spiritual things, verse 12, have been freely given to us by the Spirit who is from God. And we can read this wisdom in God's Word and become more spiritual. Get rid of envy and strife and division, as it says there. Chapter 3, stop acting like mere men. You are a child of God. You're not a mere man. You are the daughters and sons of a king. Start acting like it. Start acting like it. Be concerned with what the Spirit teaches and work with God, not against Him. Chapter 2, verse 16, have the mind of Christ, not the mind of division. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, so then... Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Be concerned with the things of God, the gospel. Be concerned with the things of God, the the church. Be concerned with the things of God, our marriages. Be concerned with the things of God, our children, who we've been given. Be concerned with the things of God, our parents. Be concerned with, as we sang this morning, loving each other. Be concerned with that. Those are spiritual things. Those are God-given things. Those are true things. Ephesians it says, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, We should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. Stop letting the world tell you how to live. Stop letting the world tell you how to live. Live the way God says to live. But it says in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. The spiritual, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14, eat solid food and are of full age. Who by reason of use, it says, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The spiritual who have their senses exercised by God's word and who are living a spiritual life, we can determine what's good and bad. We don't have to have the Oprah's of the world tell us. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become as a fool, and become that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. The the spiritual have it all. The spiritual have everything. So, are you natural? Are you carnal? Or are you spiritual? Are you natural? Do you care only for the physical? Are you carnal? Do you live for the world and are controlled by the world? You're trying to find yourself in the world's wisdom. Or are you spiritual? Are you Christ's? Do you have some mending to do? Is there some mending that you need to do? Do you have some growing to do? We all do. Christian, do you need help? We want to help you. We'll grow. We, you, you don't have to do this alone. Are you Christ's? The only way to become His is to obey. That's the only way. Do you need to be baptized into Jesus Christ? That's the only way to get into him. That's how you get into Christ. The gospel is this. Listen, listen, let me talk real soft. Let me talk real soft. The gospel is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now how do you obey an event? How do you obey an event? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. There's one in particular here today. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. You know who you are. Because I gave you this verse before the church service began. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? There's the first part of the the gospel, the death of Christ. That's how you get into Christ. That's how you get into His death. You're, You're buried in the waters of baptism with Him. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. When you're raised from the waters of baptism, your sins are washed away. And now, what are you waiting for? Acts 22, 16. Arise. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. As together we stand in sing.